0: Welcome back to another Deep End Podcast with myself and Dr. Danielle McGinnis. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the emergence of feminine consciousness. And so there's a lot to unpack here. We live in what has been built as primarily a masculine dominant world. And so we'll talk about the difference between these two things. I know that I have a I have a definition in my mind. you want to talk about, to your mind, what is, the defi- what is the difference between masculine-dominated consciousness and feminine?
1: Well, so are you speaking of masculine-dominated in terms of our culture, like kind Whatever of that patriarchal? Of. So for me, what that brings forward is kind of the, the concept of patriarchy. And so from my experience and what I've learned, it's actually not necessarily... It's it's the... I would say the ordering principle of the masculine that has perverted itself into a power structure. So I think patriarchy in essence isn't necessarily harmful, but I think where it's evolved because it's repressing or suppressing feminine consciousness, it has evolved into this kind of power and dominant force in the collective psyche and I feel like feminine consciousness is kind of sitting under the surface and giving us nudges of like hey I'm here too don't forget about me
0: Um, so do you think that that makes sense the dominant driver and I don't like the word patriarchy because I think it means too much it means too many things to too many people Mm -hmm. um, for us to talk about it with any sort of accuracy Mm -hmm. But in your mind, is the dominant driver in society power?
1: So I think that what happens when patriarchy gets a bad name is we go into kind of this like feminist perspective. And I think feminism has also kind of taken this radical shift to one-sidedness. And what happens now is these people are speaking about patriarchy from a very like victimized place and it's almost they're speaking louder and reinforcing the power principle so it's almost like a power struggle between men and women and so instead of the archetypal masculine feminine keeping its dynamism it's become this stereotypical power and dominant struggle between men and women and I think that what happens is, women start to act like weak men, and men start to be perceived as um, weak females. Mm. And so it's this like very confusing um, struggle. But if we, if we're engaging in a pursuit towards power, like external power, like hierarchy, I think what's happening is we're actually participating in that power principle of um negative patriarchy mm. does that make sense
0: so it's interesting when I, I try to think about i try to think about i try to back up as far as i can from culture to try to understand the different movements that are happening and i think that one of the reasons if you look at some of the characteristics of postmodernism, some of them are like reductionist or i'm not sorry not reductionist but uh deconstructionist Mm -hmm. and i think what you just said is like we've become somewhat stereotypical i think our energy has grown stagnant like i think that the masculine principle has brought us as far as it can bring us into the sort of into progress you might say like technological advances. Without the feminine. Without the feminine, yeah. It's gone as far as it can. And mm-hmm. then what happens is, I think when archetypes become petrified, they become stereotypes. So there no, there's no longer dynamic energy in them. When myth becomes petrified, it becomes ideology. And so that's what we're seeing is stereotypes and ideologies. They're these um, belief systems that have no dynamism, no ability to pivot, no ability to see nuance, no, no more unfolding. There's nothing real about them. They're like stuck in time.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so the reason I think that we're seeing a po- the postmodernists come along and start to want to deconstruct so much of what's happened is because I think that impulse is real because it has brought us as far as it can bring us and we're trying to figure out how do we inject something else into this system. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's sort of my take on where we're at in culture right now and I think what it's actually gonna take. Because then the other thing to consider is that when you look at the postmodern lens this deconstructionism isn't tenable for any amount of time. Like, Eventually, you actually have to have something to deconstruct. And Mm -hmm. so I think what's going to have to happen is that we're going to have to figure out how to come back into the middle and create some sort of creative principle that embodies both masculine and feminine energy.
1: Yeah, I think that because... I feel like personally, from my experience of working with creativity, it it has elements of both masculine and feminine in it. And I have yet to see or experience work with my one-on-one clients and also with myself that hasn't had some type of creative function in it. Like you can't be with these archetypal energies in your psyche and reduce them down to like facts or childhood wounds like there's something else there and that energy that's there that mystery that's there like you have to work with that creatively somehow Mm. and I feel like you're right I feel like creativity is probably a really um it's probably going to be the way that we find our way out of this I feel like we're at like a symbolic midlife crises of culture
0: Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think we're in a cultural underworld. Yeah, like right? we're
1: like everything that has worked up until this point we're seeing that it's not necessarily working. It's not serving us fully anymore and so that actually happens in the quote-unquote midlife crises but like something happens that catalyzes the individuation process, right? And oftentimes when you're at midlife or when you start to kind of go into that dark night, it is that realization that you're separating from your parent, right? You're separating from that parent-child dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like all of us as individuals in this collective have to separate from the collective parent. We have to kind of see ourselves as not enmeshed with a cultural, stereotypical ideology and start to go on our own paths. Mm-hmm. So we need to separate from the father that we've projected onto culture, right? The patriarchy. We need to take some space away from that and see how we've maybe served that inappropriately and um, dismissed our own individual processes, and how that has suppressed our own feminine in the way that you're approaching your life.
0: Mm. It's interesting because there's something else going on in culture, which is, you know, to your point, right? When you're When a person is becoming we could use the term individuated but when they're becoming more of themselves who they're here to be whatever you whatever term you want to use in typical tribal cultures you know we talked a little bit about the initiatory process and so uh, when they go into that dark night of the soul that underworld experience that's meant experience that's meant to transform them to send them on their way elders were actually in charge of maintaining the borders of that liminal space to keep the pressure high enough to keep the temperature hot enough so that transformation would occur and so it was the elders that understood that actually they had these the people coming up had to go through their own individuation process they had to go through transformation because if they didn't they would drag their childhood bullshit into their adult life and it would affect everybody like the whole culture would would burn because of it and what's interesting is now we have this like disconnect between cultures where like people kind of shit on the culture that's coming after them you see you saw all the time with our culture coming up with our generation because of the millennials oh that bothers me so much well it's interesting it it it's bothersome but it's also like something about it is like psychologically incorrect it's like what now is happening is there's this sort of culture war between rather than people realizing that evolution will not be denied that that consciousness will continue to progress and become more complex and become more aware and become I think what it's going to happen is consciousness is always going to eventually reach for the highest good so it's not going to be stifled but one of the things that's happening I think is that because that whole transformation isn't being stewarded by elders there's actually just this generational fighting that is taking place where like half of the people in the country are like we need to go back we need to go back to how it was and the other half is like no we need to go forward without you And so it's like, instead of the two realizing that they have an integral role to play in the great chain of being, Mm -hmm. they're actually like splitting apart from each other. And that's, that is the literal definition of polarity. Like that's why we have such a polarized quote unquote culture now, I think.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because I have my, my book out here. Um, it's Marion Woodman's book, Leaving My Father's House. And it talks a lot about kind of breaking out of these, um, psychological ancestral wounds with parent so separating that parent and child dynamic and she said the patriarchal drive to know everything deepens the splitting and the either or attitude which I think what you're talking about there is there is a it, there's a lack of respect on both sides right so there's a lack of respect for lived experience of those who have come before us and have lived an experienced life from a millennial perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. But then there's also a lack of uh, respect for perhaps the creative capacities, the potential that lies in that millennial generation. Right. And so I think like when you have lack of respect on both sides, it becomes this defensive power principle. Right, and so this is what happens when we serve a stereotypical um, function of of dominance and order, and we don't allow this like dynamic uh, interaction between the two of those to occur. Right, it turns into um, who knows best. It's right. either this or it's that. Right, and I think that there's so much gift in both, and it only comes from. It, it's interesting because I feel like you're talking about maybe tribal cultures and their initiatory experiences. And I feel like those experiences were so that that person could get in touch with what their soul's calling was for the world so that they could give back to their community, Mm -hmm. right? That's what individuation is. It's not striving towards individualism, It's actually striving towards wholeness so that you can give back to the collective. And what's happening is that's being stifled because we're afraid. We're afraid of where that would go. But actually, I feel like we haven't really tried it.
0: Right. Yeah, we have... So we have an... I think that's such a good example. Like we have an individualistic culture, not an individuated culture. Totally. And those two things are miles apart. Because... So this is interesting too, right? So when you look through history, what you see is actually much more of a collective, a collectivist mentality. And that had its own deep, deep shadow because, like, for example, if you look at the Middle Ages in Europe, there was a belief that entire cultures or communities would either be would either be saved, quote unquote, would reach heaven together, would find salvation together, or they would all go to hell or be put in purgatory together Mm -hmm. and so because of that collectivist mentality the individual there was no there nobody cared about the individual the individual had no rights whatsoever and so that's why we burned people at the stake for example because all of these people were under the idea that if they could burn them which was an act of purification that that would atone for the sins of the collective
1: Okay. So that, it's like getting into layers. I hope I don't get this confused. So that could be an amazing example of suppression of the feminine, right? Like the witch trials and burning witches, like this reverence for this deep connection with sacred nature that witches were engaging in. And it's like, actually, no, that's evil. That's shadow. Let's burn you. Let's kill you. Right. Mm -hmm. But like that doesn't make that energy go away. Like, where does that go? That goes into that collective shadow, right? And so it's interesting because what what you're speaking about there feels to me like another example of, okay, so if our God is out there, right? We don't have to take responsibility for our actions here. And so what happens here is now it turns into this collective tyrannical father energy that's driving the culture, right? And so the tyrannical father has no space for nature, and no space for the feminine. And so it puts it into the shadow. And so again, reinforcing the power principle. So that's what I think, uh, patriarchy
0: is mm, okay. So, so this is what the world looks like for thousands of years, okay. and then we go through the Enlightenment, and out of the Enlightenment, we be, we get the birth of rationalism and and logic, and so then now we're starting to realize that that the way we're looking at the world is fundamentally flawed, and now we have the pendulum swing from this from this collectivist culture to what is happening now, which is the individual culture, like we're only a couple hundred years, right? So, and when you look at culture, like consciousness takes thousands of years to evolve. So dominant thought processes that are are alive in culture take thousands of years to move across the sort of archetypal spectrum. So now we're in this place where the culture is so individualistic, I think what's happening is we're swinging from polarity to polarity and we're eventually going to settle out as we come to the realization that the answer is actually a mix of both right which is being the best you for the collective Mm -hmm. and that's why in my book one of the things i talk about is the idea that the individual and society have like a reciprocal responsibility to each other Mm -hmm. the society creates structure and safety for the individual who then must go on their own hero's journey to understand what it is they're actually here for Mm -hmm. because there are certain things that are coming into the world through us
1: right so but then when our culture turns into a stereotypical culture it's an illusion of safety it's actually not safe right? And so you see this playing out, for example, when people actually deny the truth of their wholeness to pursue something that is safe and secure and promise them, you know, benefits and amazing work hours and like a way to support their family. And then we see last year with COVID, like, actually, that's pretty, that's pretty unstable. Hmm. You know, that nine to five promise of security and stability is it truly the safest route to go in your life i don't know like maybe for some people but
0: well okay so now if we look at this masculine and feminine as we started you think the masculine is often characterized by order structure directiveness doing energy but again as you mentioned when culture becomes stereotypical what happens with masculine energy when it loses its dynamism? Actually, so you could say when it loses its connection to the feminine altogether, it becomes tyrannical, becomes stiff, becomes what it is right and now. Th-
1: and I think what happens is it turns individuals into, into chess pieces for that game to play out.
0: Yes, totally.
1: So now people become objects for an outer game that has no meaning, that but- absolutely has no mystery, has no connection to the earth. And so it's a very destructive type of energy.
0: Right. Right. What I would say is that the feminine won't be denied.
1: <laughs> no. You
0: know, because it's going to, what's going to happen, I mean, equilibrium is going to happen. These two energies have been, you know, swirling back and forth, you could say, for eternity. And so as just as the masculine grows tyrannical which is what's happening you see riots. You see what happened with George Floyd. You see all of the cultural instability we're feeling. I think it's the feminine chaos emerging within the structure. Because we've chosen not to have a relationship to it, not to honor both we're, we're just puppets for them essentially. Because, I, because nothing Once progress can't continue, once something grows so tyrannical that progress can't continue, chaos is just going to start emerging.
1: Yeah, and you see this, right, with kind of this rise of awareness in mental health after, you know, last year with COVID, like you take away the order and structure of the routine, the monotonous everyday kind of habitual movement Mm -hmm. towards tyranny, Right, and you take that away. And you have so many people now, and I think it's a beautiful thing that so many people now are realizing, actually, this doesn't work for me. I'm like, I wake up anxious every day. I'm mm-hmm. so miserable. Like, my body is exhausted. So I think all of those are also maybe some individual markers
0: of internal chaos kind of bubbling up from the surface. Totally, yeah. Even if you put yourself in structure, like masculine structure. Like mm-hmm. internally, that chaos is going to start emerging essentially. Mm-hmm. And I would say psychology, the field of psychology, is inherently feminine in that it, it is forcing you to pay attention to what's happening within. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas before, our answers collectively have always been pay attention to what's happening without. You know, our God is very up and out. And so if, the, if you are having a problem, the answer is to be better at that game, be better at the up and out. But now we're like, okay, but maybe we need to pay attention to what what's happening down and in, and that's the feminine.
1: Yeah, and I think that like one of the greatest illusions of maybe it's like this post-enlightenment thing, right, is like just stopping
0: at the symptom,
1: right? It's like if we know the symptom, we know the problem.
0: Mm-hmm. but that's masculine again. Right, right? and that's Fix, still contributing.
1: It. It's contributing to like if you approach an issue in that way and you don't take it a layer deeper, you're you're perpetuating this power structure. And I feel like what I've found in my own life and in my work with others is like actually it's about 12 layers deeper, you know, or mm. it's just like incredibly so much deeper than what is actually the symptom because you got to find you know the question that I am like objectively kind of looking at when I work with people is like what archetype is possessing this individual at this period of time in their life right and I see a lot of individuals come to me very unmothered And I mean that archetypally. It's not just personal mothers because some of them had personal mothers that were incredible. But just this lack of feeling like they are going to be accepted in the world for who they are. Mm. You know, that's deeper than just your personal mother. Your personal mother can contribute to that lack of acceptance and safety. But like on a grand scheme of things, it's like, there's no space for them in this game.
0: Mhm. Yeah, and and I think that's we've talked about this a little bit, but that's why like retreating to nature is so helpful.
1: Almost every person that I have worked with that has had a deep disconnect from the feminine energy has mentioned how incredibly reverent and sacred being out in nature is for them. And I and I like would encourage anybody out there who actually experiences that too to like not take that lightly. That actually means something really important in your psyche.
0: Right, like you feel something about you feels balanced when you return to the mother.
1: Right, and so that's calling you into deeper relationship with something sacred. I think making things sacred is a feminine principle. And so when we start to look at the way that we're navigating life as if everything matters, the way we treat our body, the way we treat our partner, the way we treat our work, the way we treat strangers, the way we look at the earth. Like I think it all matters so much. And if we can just kind of zoom out from our, um, kind of personal struggles and see maybe how that would impact the collective as a whole, if we could really start to make movements towards that, Mm -hmm. um, we can make incredible shifts in humanity
0: yeah yeah and i think it's hard to honor and that's a i think that's a great way to do it i'm thinking through like how does how does somebody like begin to honor the feminine in their life right whether they're male or female and i think making something sacred is a good way to begin doing that because i think you alluded to this at the beginning, but a lot of what we're seeing is, rather than change the game, we're just trying to, you know, when you look at like feminism, for example, it's like, the we have this masculine dominated world that's been animated by masculine energy, we build these phallic buildings, we everything is is dominant, right? we're doers where we have this hustle culture. And when you look at something like the emergence of feminism or something, a lot of that rhetoric that I see is actually just like wanting to do the masculine thing better or something like it's like, rather than bring a more balanced dynamic into the fold, I'm actually just going to be better I just want to be better than you at your job or whatever, get you fired and I'll take over.
1: I think it comes down to like morality too, right? It's like, how can I make myself look better within this structure in a way that doesn't reinforce what has been? But also if you're doing it in a way that like doesn't incorporate the shadow, the body, the unconscious, you're perpetuating our just like skyrocket into consciousness without acknowledgement of what else is there.
0: Right. So Jung called that the unholy trinity, right? Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: So yeah, so he was working with all three of these things.
0: The feminine, the body, and the shadow.
1: Yes, to amplify a a move towards balanced feminine consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, And those things can't be useful in the world without spirit, without this masculine drive to bring them out into the world. But we have to acknowledge them, right? And so I think that um, when we are talking about like making everything sacred, right? And act as if everything matters, is I encourage my clients to really look at whatever they're experiencing, their their symptoms, their outer symptoms, as a call towards something deeper, right? Their soul is activating through this external symptom. So are they experiencing it through the body, right? And I think that the shadow in particular is our connection to the shadow. Because our, our shadow material is so, like if you haven't gotten to a point with doing shadow work where your body almost revolts when that material comes to your attention, I don't know if we're actually getting to into transform, transformation with shadow. We're actually just doing shadow work on a cognitive level,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is reinforcing masculine. Right. Right. So if we actually do shadow work from a place of feminine consciousness, we're working with the body to integrate shadow material. hmm So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting when you think about the feminine, the body, and the shadow. I mean, aren't those all, those are all feminine, you know?
1: i think symbolically they are
0: symbolically yeah like the, mm-hmm. the, the animating energy is feminine
1: yeah and like let's look at let's just bring christianity in here right like i think that christ right all of the symbolism around the body was so symbolic of the feminine of feminine consciousness but we took that and like skewed it into this out there principle and just like cut ourselves off from it and so a lot of our culture is based on religious principles and concepts that are based on that misconstrued um it's it's taking something very symbolic and mysterious and meaningful and like shifting it into something as like an outer power
0: Right. Yeah, when you look at the emergence of something like second century gnosticism, what you end up with, you realize is um, a completely masculine version of this the Christ story. You know, so gnosticism was a heretical movement that emerged in the second century. And essentially what gnostics believed is that all matter was evil, that humans had a divine spark that was of God the most high, but they believed that this world was created by like, a, more like an evil god, mm. and so the the to become free, to become to reach salvation, it was actually you had to know. That's why it's called Gnosticism. It's it's a gnosis, it's a knowing of what's real about you and what's not real, right? So there's a huge division between spirit and matter. And actually, one of the reasons that they believed in astrology is because they believe when the di- divine spark came. From God, it traveled through the cosmos to land in the incarnation in your body, and mm-hmm. so astrology was actually the um, pattern that you took to get here, and that's why astrology worked. That's what they believed. Um, super fascinating, but it's interesting when you look at the symbolism of Christianity, which is. We have a masculine dominated world everything is up and out and now all of a sudden there's a religion where god comes down and in god becomes embodied incarnate right
1: i think it was like a a deep reminder right a deep remembering of the here and now this embodied incarnated existence like i think that's what that was
0: totally and then by the second century this gnosticism is like takes that and gets rid of the feminine altogether and it's like no he just appeared to be embodied but the the actual divine spark is the only thing about you that's good all matter all mother in other words is actually inherently evil and then uh christianity ends up winning out in the battle between gnosticism but actually it's way more complicated than that because a lot of gnostics become integrated into the Christian tradition to now where you go to like if you were to go to I think if you were to go to a hundred churches in the U.S. across all of the different denominations you would find Gnostic teaches, teachings in over half of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a tradition that believed they were Christian and I didn't realize until I was older and could really understand that actually know what you are preaching is second century Gnosticism you just don't understand that. Um, yeah, and you're using different words, but but very fascinating to see like the lengths we'll go to to cut the feminine out.
1: So it's interesting because Jung was really interested in, interested in narcissism, but felt as if it was incomplete and so that's when he kind of like dove into alchemy and was like very interested in alchemy and i find myself very interested in alchemy myself and i think it's because it actually has so many incredibly powerful symbols right like we have this um negredo this death process which is inherently feminine this kind of like dive into dark matter death
0: is the devouring feminine.
1: And it's like, what's well, the return into the mother? Mm. And then you have in a lot of alchemicals, alchemical texts and images, like the vase, like the holding container of the prima materia. So the the container and the containment is actually a very feminine element as well. It's a a symbol of the feminine, that holding function, that containing function. So everything, that chaos is held Mm -hmm. in a safe space. Yeah. So um, I just find it interesting how, um, you know, there's so many interesting symbols in alchemy. And that's where kind of Jung's interest lay um, as he evolved in his work. And just to see how that incorporates a lot of that feminine stuff. Yeah. And if we take, if we just look at the way that Young behaved in a literal way and talked about females and his relationships with females, like you, if you literalize that and you look at that and you're like, oh He wasn't on on the side of females and that's like looking at it stereotypically. Mm -hmm. But if we can kind of like zoom out and say like, look at all of these, I think what he was doing was trying to amplify these different archetypal symbols because I feel like if we have one, which is Christ, like a really powerful archetypal symbol and it gets skewed and turned into a stereotype... I think what Jung was doing was trying to take different perspectives to try to like re envision that archetype of the feminine mm. and bring it forward and carry it forward.
0: Um, yeah. So I think he was right. I mean, obviously, he was, I think he was right in his assumption about Gnosticism that it was incomplete because it is, it's like almost dominated well, by masculinity.
1: Isn't Sophia a. Uh, product of Gnosticism? No. It's not?
0: No. Sophia pops up in the Old Testament. Okay. Gnosticism pops up in the second century. Sophia was, is you know, the goddess of wisdom or the feminine half of God as understood in like second, um, in like first, second century, um, or I'm sorry, second temple Judaism. You get the emergence of Sophia and the belief that uh, for, for a lot of sects believe that Jesus was the sort of incarnation of Sophia, which is why Mm -hmm. they talk about a masculine body with a feminine soul. But um, it's interesting because even if you look now at our culture, like we have to acknowledge, I think, why this happens, right? Why is it that we keep denying the feminine? And it's because it's fucking uncomfortable, right? Because we are so seduced by the idea of secret knowledge because What that essentially is telling you is like all of this discomfort that you feel about being in your body and being in your life, you actually can get around if you just know the right thing. I think that's what this quote
1: was saying was like the drive to know deepens the splitting of either or. Yes. And I think that oftentimes the knowing is a byproduct of experience, which is feminine. It's, not, it's right. not a byproduct of cognition of knowing. Right. Like the difference in knowing, I think, is the difference between masculine knowing and feminine knowing.
0: So imagine sitting with, okay, so I'm watching a, sedu- a, a whole, right now I'm watching a generation, I think it's a generation in front of me, but a little bit older than me, being like absolutely seduced by all of these conspiracy theories. And if you think about what's happening there, rather than sit in the discomfort of the world we've built, which is causing people to kill themselves at a rate faster than ever, which is causing people to turn to escapisms at rates faster than ever before. Right. Rather than sit and realize, Oh, we've built something fucked up here. We actually have to do the work to face our own shadow so that we stop projecting it and perpetuating it in culture. Instead, no, there's actually just n- secret knowledge that you have to know. You actually just have to, like, somebody else is pulling the lever. So you get to, you don't have to deal with the problem. It's somebody else. And you can so- and you can fix that problem by just knowing about the secret knowledge. And so you, then you see, like, QAnon and all that shit. It's mm-hmm. like, no, I'll do anything not to be in the feminine, including believe just this bullshit, like, cascade of theories.
1: That's a really... Great point. Um, and I think that, you know...
0: Gnosticism all over again. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> I feel like it's really interesting, the path that my life has gone down, because I was a archetypal father's daughter. Like, I was... If you look up the Athenian archetype, I was like Athena, right? I was born out of my father's head. Like, I, I loved intellect and knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge and getting degrees in these universities that are perpetuated by patriarchy. And like, that's what I found safety in. Mm. But it's so funny to see the pattern of my life. And if you would have told me like 10 years ago that I would be working and teaching and more of a feminine space and container, I would have been like, you're nuts. Mm. Um, but I feel like my work as a whole has really shifted into amplifying and helping individuals experience the feminine, including men that I worked with in my Born to Heal cohort and one-on-one men that I'm working with, is helping them experience the feminine. Um, so it's just really interesting. I feel like it's it's uncomfortable. It's like scary. It's I don't know, all the things, but I feel like I had this very, uh, I don't know, earth-shattering plant medicine experience that it felt like it was almost like an initiation. It was a return to the Great Mother and rebirth in, in a way that I feel like cleansed my body of the gunk that was like, stopping me from moving in this direction. Mm. And I feel like for me to not pay attention to that or try to like literalize that and try to figure out exactly what that meant um would be a disservice to my feminine nature. And so the way that I've been trying to integrate that experience is through somatic experiencing, through embodiment, through creatively writing from a feminine place, not a masculine place of pleasing outer power structures Mm -hmm. um, all these different ways so it's been really uncomfortable and but I feel like it's the way through at this point for me
0: right well and for men that don't have a healthy balance of feminine masculine energy they won't because they won't be able to sit with themselves they'll always have to be doing you know and so there's a lot of people that are like stuck in fast forward because they don't know how to stop because they can't because there is no relationship there to the feminine
1: and I think that that is where the containing function of the feminine can be so incredibly healing because it's like okay so if we can kind of contain that experience and work with someone who can receive your experience and allow that kind of chaotic energy to transmute into something that your masculine energy can pull forward into the world, um, I think that that's beautiful. I think that's that would be a feminine transmutation of that experience.
0: What would that look like in practicality?
1: You know, I when we were talking about, you were like, what is containment? I don't know what that means. But like, think about, you know, creating a group... Structure like a group program, like your modern man's call or whatever, mm-hmm. or my born to heal, right? And so, when you have individuals come into this space with you, you don't have like everybody off mute at the same time like one like one person is talking at a time and there's space being created and we're creating the 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 boundaries around the container um for that space to be held for that person to be witnessed for that person to be seen so it's not like everybody's just spewing their stuff in that space right i think it's really about this um this witnessing and holding of what's coming forward for different people, mm. so that would be an example. I feel like of containment for a group right. setting. Um, obviously, you could do it in a one-on-one session, um, but I, you know, something when I'm doing somatic experiencing with people, something that is a really great fear, and I feel like that stops people from being in their body is they feel like if I go there. I am either going to kind of get sucked into this vacuum of nothing darkness or I'm going to float away into the ethers and never come back. So it's kind of like feeling dissociated from the body. Um, And I have to kind of like remind them to like put their feet on the ground and remind them that I'm here and I'm not going to let that happen right? Like I'm containing that kind of like fear and that terror in a space where they can actually go there.
0: Yeah. And that is why we, you know, that's the the best part about getting a coach or getting uh, a therapist is, is that it creates, it, it mm-hmm. is an initiatory experience in that it creates a threshold space it creates a space with boundaries where the temperature is hot enough for transformation to occur and also where you can go in there and sort of unravel and look for those pieces right
1: yeah sometimes like sometimes though people aren't creating safe containers right and so they're replicating containers that they had when they were growing up and so perhaps someone had a mother who was more like a father's daughter in the masculine, right? And kind of was a devouring witch to the child. And so they attract a therapist in that same way. Mm -hmm. And so now the container is not safe and it's reinforcing complexes to play themselves out. And so I think the biggest thing about going to a coach or going to a therapist is, is really trying to tap in to see like, why am I drawn to this person, right? Is this person going to reinforce my complexes or is this person going to create safety to go somewhere a little bit more dangerous right Right. Um, so it's just I don't know I think that there's a lot of discernment there when you're choosing people to work with and I've had a lot of people you know like kind of shy away from investing in themselves because who they've invested in in the past like it didn't work and it's super like um you're just like i don't want to do that anymore and it's like well actually maybe you just haven't been in the right container right right and so i think it's pretty beautiful to see a bunch of people creating containers
0: it's almost impossible to reach a level of experiential knowing in the world like it's it's almost impossible to how would i say this you can't embody something you haven't experienced Right. And so most of us, like when we have this conversation about masculine, feminine energy, for example, like if you're stuck in the masculine, you can't just switch. Right. You can't just start. It's unsafe. It doesn't feel right. It feels out. You know, it feels outside of what you've experienced before, which makes it feel unsafe. And so same thing with like I've noticed this in um, my own work. Right. So in going to a coach who actually, like, models for me what it's like to be, like, sort of unconditionally accepted and loved, I I realized in that moment, it's like, oh, shit, I've been using the word love, but I didn't actually get it. Like, I didn't know what it meant. And I think, so, a lot of us, it's, like, it's up to sort of us to find the people that can help us embody the experiences that we don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's sort of, like, the, I think, a way of talking about this thing from a bigger perspective it's like anything in life that you haven't experienced you're not going to be able to just go there like people use the word love but they don't know what it actually means and so you actually have to have some sort of bigger thing fostered there
1: it's interesting because i feel like this it's very like confusing i feel like i have a I did, this was never fostered in my personality, but I feel like I was always like an antenna to like people that said things but acted differently. And it's interesting because I can see now, and I, I see it in myself too, so I'll take full responsibility for doing this myself sometimes. and I have to catch myself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but the individuals who are leading from ideals – They're not leading from experience. Mm -hmm. And leading from ideals reinforces this kind of pursuit of out there knowledge Mm -hmm. instead of in here knowledge.
0: Right.
1: Because, and that's why we have a culture that is just plagued with perfectionism and thinking things that should be different from what they are is because they're striving towards an ideal. And it's like, if I show up just like this, then I'll be the ideal coach. And or therapist, whatever. Um, but I, I really feel like there is something in each and every individual that has an antenna for that. Like they can see through someone who's really embodied and experiential and then someone who's preaching ideals.
0: Yeah. Well, and just listening to you say that too, I'm like, well, it is experience that teaches us that reality is not perfect. Mm-hmm. right the only reason we would ever shoot for perfection is because we aren't paying attention to what reality is actually like we're, we're we are shooting for ideals
1: yeah and i think again it's to reinforce how uncomfortable reality actually is mm-hmm. right the shame of being imperfect an imperfect human yeah so i think that ultimately it's it's about if we come down to it i feel like the thing that Um, I feel inside is that the feminine leads from experience from the here and now present moment and an interaction and presence with that Mm. and I said making things sacred but it really feels like if you are receiving the present moment and you're present with it and you're seeing what's presented in front of you I think it becomes inherently sacred yeah when you when you get to a place where you see that everything matters it becomes that right. and that's hopeful but like shooting for like all of these like perpetual like never ending pursuits of outer success and ideals and all those things it's exhausting and it's hopeless it's kind of like strays you into nihilism and it's just
0: yeah eventually because it is hopeless right because you're constantly short Mm -hmm. Right. And you're never honoring where you actually are in that moment, in that pursuit.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like in this conversation, we've talked a lot about culture and I feel like something that I just want to at least cover or go over is like, we can't change where we're at right now. We can just, I mean, on a massive scale, So just to project all of our problems onto culture is like not the answer. And I think that the best thing that we could do is kind of just like look, like put our feet on the ground and look around us and see how what we're doing right here and right now is contributing to that and how maybe you would want it to contribute to something different than that. So yeah, I just want to say that because I want to take responsibility for my part and making this collective a better place. Like I don't want to just say it's a problem. It's a problem. It's a pop culture's this, culture's that. And it's like, well, but it is.
0: Yeah, and the only thing I would say on that which makes me not so hopeful is that <laughs> culture is only a collective of individuals. And so whatever symptoms are appearing in culture are first appearing in individuals, right? But the place that they're in appearing is the fe- is the feminine. That's the problem. It is the shadow. It is the unholy trinity that people have to take a look at if these problems are going to resolve themselves. And since we're like perpetuating this masculine up and out, I do think it's changing. I just don't know if it's changing fast enough, but I do think it's changing. Um, But, you know, it's like essentially what has to happen in order for these things to be resolved is for the feminine to stop being denied. And I just, I don't know.
1: I don't. You don't know what.
0: I just don't know if that's gonna happen. Like I think, like in your lifetime, as a species, or just ever. Like you said, we're as a species, we're in the underworld, right? We're in our dark night.
1: I think yeah, we're we're at the like we're in that like alchemical negredo. I feel like we're starting to come to grips with the material, the darkness that we have suppressed for hundreds and thousands of years
0: but it's super important to understand that not everyone emerges from the underworld the stories that you know of are because are cherry-picked specifically because they emerged because they had a story to tell but Mm -hmm. that i think the majority isn't the hero the majority doesn't escape from the underworld people i think a lot of a lot of people end up becoming a way worse version of who they used to be as they grow older I think that, um, well, obviously a lot of people killed But were themselves.
1: they ever in the underworld then? Yeah. Or were they in a pseudo version of the
0: underworld? No, I think, yeah. Okay, so I think... Were they ha- walking just unconsciously
1: through the underworld?
0: Right. Okay. Right. That's exactly what's happening. And that's what's happening to us as a culture. Like I'm saying, this what we have to face is shadow. It's outside of our awareness. And so unless we turn around, we're not going to be able to see our shadow, right? We are just continuing to face the light. And so we're like, no, up and at them, go this way.
1: So mm-hmm. there's
0: this, we're, the shadow's getting bigger and bigger behind us as we grow. Mm-hmm. And if we don't turn around and face that, I we're, as a species, I just don't think we're going to emerge.
1: I did a podcast called Re- Regression is Not a Problem. And I think that that ties in nicely here, where it's like... <laughs> To say that you've maybe taken like two steps back is not actually a problem when it comes to integrating the shadow, right? Because you're confronting parts of yourself that haven't necessarily evolved. And so whenever you regress back or turn around, that's actually can catalyze something really, really amazing because now you're confronting unconsciousness. You're turning around and looking at it. But if you just keep going forward and say like regression isn't an option, we can't turn around.
0: Which is, I would say, the narrative in our culture.
1: Yeah, it. it cre- you're right. It does create a deeper unconsciousness. And I think that that's what makes that um, to the extent in which you're not open to regressing is to the extent in which your darkness, your evil, your unconscious is probably gonna feel like a big ass vacuum
0: Mm -hmm. yeah like a
1: looming energy of death
0: (laughs) right but like that is the tact we're taking right when pressure starts to mount uh, our cultural narrative is forward forward at all costs just fucking jam the throttle yeah we were just talking about
1: um 9-11 right how that was like this this kind of like march on let's Fucking kill them. Not
0: one time, not one, not one fucking time in our culture in the last two years have we just stopped. Have I heard on the news? Have I heard a politician be like, what? Hold on. Maybe we're embodying values that aren't conducive to where we actually want to be as a species. Nobody said, like, maybe we need to turn around. Nobody said, like, we need to figure out what we're serving because, like, no, everyone's just like growth, right? Whether you think growth is is whatever you, however you define growth, the growth, the problem I think is that growth is our top ideal, and mm-hmm. so we are a cancer because that's what grows at all costs <laughs> yes. is cancer, and so there is no moving backwards, there is no turning around to face the shadow. You know, it's like it's all just forward at all costs, and I think if we don't make it out of the underworld it'll be because of that
1: yeah wow is there anything we could talk about to like in this thing on a lighter note
0: yeah i think the (laughs) but hey
1: it's about darkness
0: (laughs) well no because i think that when again you have to keep in mind when we talk about cultural phenomena we're talking about thousands of years right so so if we don't emerge from the underworld, it's likely that that's still way, 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 way beyond our lifetime. Um,
1: okay. So but the let's, beauty is
0: that you have that individual choice. Right? Okay,
1: so let's talk about that because I think that's important because from a trauma lens, I feel like trauma stifles choice and so we actually feel like we don't have a choice. Um, I think that last year was the most conscious that trauma has presented itself culturally, mm-hmm. at least in my lifetime. Right. Like, it was a very traumatizing experience for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I would say probably the last, I don't know, five to ten years, if I, like, reflect back on the politicians and things like that, I think it was very traumatic for people. Um, but, where was I going with that? Oh, okay, so... If trauma stifles choice and you work through trauma by actually kind of dipping your toes in the experience a bit, not necessarily the meanings and all of the stories and all of that, but actually the embodied experience of trauma, what I believe happens in that is there is this creation of hope. And hope now becomes the momentum to continue to work forward through because um, once that is integrated and worked through, you actually feel like you have a choice of what you're doing here on this planet earth. And that's hopeful.
0: Totally. Yeah. The hope, our hope lies in the individual.
1: And I feel like we need to start removing the projection that we have, like of hope onto something outside of us is going to save us. Like someone, something, some substance, some medication, something is going to save us. Yes. Um, Ideas, concepts, science. Like if we just stop and remove our hope from that and like just cut that illusion and say it's actually an illusion and focus on what your present moment experience and in interaction is with the earth right now and your body and how it's interacting with humanity that's hopeful
0: totally i agree
1: yeah that's a good place to stop i think yeah
0: cool <laughs> thanks guys thanks for listening to us uh go around in circles i would, i do want to end with just saying with these deep end podcasts like we don't know where they're gonna go and like it's pretty hard for anybody that's done an interview there's part of you that's asking questions and part of you that's trying to figure out where the conversation is going to go next and then part of you that's also trying to contribute to the conversation Mm -hmm. and with these deep ends i like them to just sort of unfold and so it's sometimes we have to like circle around topics to get places or whatever and that that's what you're getting with the deep end right is we're just gonna start pulling topics apart and see where we end up and sometimes i'm like waist-deep in mud and i'm like oh, somebody get me out of here
1: well isn't that the, just the most symbolic metaphor for life right like you just circle around certain things and sometimes you end up waist-deep in mud you're like how would i get here but then ultimately you get closer to actually what you wanted to talk about that's that's life yeah. so hey we're doing it
0: cool thanks babe